Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt. Um, I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. My research interests are media studies, media archaeology, cultural theory, and Christianity and leftist politics. Uh, my name is Dean Detloff. I am a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto, and I research all kinds of things here. And uh, lately I've been making a lot of forts for my cats, so still on that good cat research uh, right now, but it's moved on from cat eye infections to, uh, to cat housing. That's my new, my new task. <laughs> That's good. That's nice of you. Yeah, I mean, they um, like it, you know. Yeah, function of the oblique for cats. That's right, yeah. It is a lot of slanting uh, blanket roofs, so I'm still working on the floors, but one of these days. Yeah. That's a Paul Virilio joke for all you guys out there who don't know or care about <laughs> that. Uh, just throwing it out there. All right. Well, uh, today uh, we're doing something really cool uh, and a little bit different. We're not just focusing on revolutionary politics uh, as such, but today we're talking with Sarah New, who works with both Religious Socialism, uh, a group within the DSA, and Church Clarity, a website that allows people to submit uh, churches to a database that scores them according to their policies on LGBTQ people. A really... Um, greatly needed resource in the world, I think. Um, so uh, Religious Socialism is a group that we'll talk about um, more in the conversation with her, but Church Clarity, we kind of want to set up a little bit. Uh, basically, the idea behind Church Clarity is that uh, it's a website where you can go and submit a church, and then they will do some research on the back end, uh, looking through the policy, looking at the denomination, emailing the pastors, and so on. Um, and then based on that information, they... Uh, they rank the church as uh, one of the sort of these categories, either being undisclosed, unclear, non-affirming, unclear, affirming, clear, non-affirming, clear, affirming, actively discerning, and verified clear. Okay, so lots of different uses of the word clear here that are kind of interesting and fun in their own way. Um, but basically, it's a really helpful tool for just like figuring out if a church is maybe worth going to in some ways. Um, so we talked to Sarah about socialism, LGBTQ liberation, and some really neat projects that she's invested in to help Christians think through both uh, both of those things. Before we get uh, any further, though, we have a, a handful of like housekeeping, podcast keeping things to take care of. Uh, so first of all, uh, you might have heard the new intro tunes. Dean, do you want to tell us what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. So Amaria Shea Armstrong, who was a guest on the show a while back. Uh, we talked about pizza and also a paper that she had written about Paul and Hagar. She made it for us, which is very cool and exciting. Uh, Amaria makes a lot of other kinds of beats and songs in addition to being good at reading and writing. So, um, yeah, we asked her to do it and she came through uh, pretty, pretty well, I'd say. A plus. Thank you, yeah, Amaria. It's so cool. It is very cool. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah, we were gonna like um, we we're gonna we we're gonna put some some hot quotes from past episodes over the top of it, and maybe someday we will. But we've been so busy, and it's just like good enough on its own. So why spoil it? Yeah, that's right. Okay, um, number two on the housekeeping agenda is a quick uh, iTunes review. Um, we've gotten a few more since we've uh, taken a break from reading them. Uh, if this is a, pod, a part of the podcast that you like and value in any way, um, you can keep it going by continuing to submit reviews to iTunes. Okay. <laughs> So here it is, the iTunes review that we've been neglecting to read since October. Oh my gosh. <laughs> nice. Okay, this is for this is from username Just Fishing for Religion on October twenty-fourth. Oh, nice. Uh hot username, it's good. Uh, also the title of this is so good. The title is Pedagogy of the Impressed, and it is five out of five stars. <laughs> 
This is what we've been missing out on and not doing these. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, Just Fishing for Religion says, I stumbled across your podcast through a recommendation posted on the Partially Examined Life's Facebook page. Oh, that's weird. Hmm. All right. Good going, somebody. Getting around. Yeah. Um, I'm a former Catholic who is now a practicing Unitarian Universalist. Unlike common sentiment um, amongst many of my self-exiled formerly Catholic UU comrades, I assert that my Catholic upbringing was the start of my social justice ministry. The Magnificast speaks to this part of me. I have found your podcast to be a real inspiration in this pursuit, as it fuses my libertarian socialist politics with my gnosis. Uh, this is no small feat, and one that has eluded me until very recently. I frequently, uh, I frequently mine your scriptural references and exegesis to bring to my church to remind us uh, universal Unitarians uh, or Unitarian Universalists, whichever. I don't remember which one comes first. <laughs> that uh, Christian wisdom is important too and in keeping with our commitment to universalism uh, so we, uh, they say uh, keep up the good work keep turning water into seltzer and may we one day liberate all pizza lovers everywhere from capitalist oppression uh, that's really important all, I mean that's, a, that's the most important part right there um, I mean pizza for everybody according to their that's need right. Yeah, uh, and according to their ability. So, like, I can eat a whole large pizza, and I would really like to, but I don't because I feel guilty. And after the revolution, I will feel no guilt. I will just uh, indulge. That'd yeah, that's a really good point. That's what I think that's what that phrase actually means. Uh, according to your ability is, like, can you eat an entire pizza by yourself? And uh, yes, yeah. yes, I can. The, the answer um, is 100%. But do I need, do I need to? Uh, also, yes. Yeah, I also yes. need to do that. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. It's probably like terms. 75%, but still, that's more than 50. I would so. say so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. I went to a Unitarian church exactly one time, and everyone was very nice. And I even told them that I was Catholic, and they said, that's great. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've got positive experiences with Unitarians yeah. that, that I don't know, one time. I don't, know, I don't know how you couldn't like the UU church. It's good stuff. Um, cool. So uh, that's neat. Uh, it's cool to see that we're like getting around uh, in w- weird places. Who knows? Um, what else you got for us? Oh, yeah. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, then you would have uh, saw that a few weeks ago we um, we started a book giveaway contest. Um, so if you retweeted um, uh, a link to one of our episodes, uh, you could have been entered to win a book. Um, and the book was Katie Grimes' uh, Fugitive Saints. And you could have also been uh, entered to win a sweet Magnificast pin uh, or button, um, as I, I think button is the, the nomenclature we're going with here they're not pins yeah that's important. Right. definite um, <laughs> so anyways uh we have a winner you can check our twitter to check that out and see who who won um it was it was cool we gave we gave away a book i don't know it is a it's a really solid sort of marketing pr move we're very savvy marketers <laughs> so uh as you <laughs> as you know already uh so that's out there uh if if you uh, if you didn't win that book, by the way, you should buy it. Uh, we talked to Katie for an episode about that book in particular, and it is extremely good. I have a lot of good things to say about it. I've been just recommending it to everybody that I know. So like, I don't know, spend the money. Katie deserves it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, you can uh, see more opportunities to win books and pins and whatever else we figure out to give away i don't know what else i don't know what else apart from books and pins would give you but um something uh like like pens that haven't quite run out of their ink yet um, <laughs> I, I will give stuff, you the stuff uh, laying around my apartment 
proof of purchase off all of the LaCroix I bought over the <laughs> last month. Uh, yeah. Okay. So maybe those things too. So anyways, keep a keep a, an eye out for future Magnificast giveaways of stuff and junk and also very good books. Um, no purchase okay. necessary. Yeah, no purchase necessary. <laughs> Terms and details apply. Uh <laughs> Uh, so, okay, on top of all that, uh, some other really important news is that we're making Magnificast t-shirts. That's really cool. Uh, again, check your Twitter, check our Twitter account, and uh, you can see uh, a preview of uh, what they look like. Shout out to Benjamin Wildflower in case he listens to this. I don't know if he does. Uh, he made this really, really dope uh, Mary uh, sort of picture, and uh, he made it for us. Uh, so it says the Magnificast under it. Anyways, those will be coming in the next few months. Uh, it takes some time for him to make it all. So anyways, uh, that's coming. Keep an eye out. We'll start like an Etsy store or something. I don't know. I don't know how to do anything. Figure it out. I am a baby. Um, <laughs> what's the don't... What's the unionized version of Etsy? Yeah, I don't know. What is it? <laughs> uh, like is there one? it by, by mule? I don't know. Yeah, Someone tell us. Know. If you know, like, please actually do tell us. Yeah, that would be really good. Um, well, okay. Um, so yeah, t-shirts, buttons, we'll end up figuring out a way to sell them to you at some point. Um, pay patreon subscribers uh will get free buttons that's happening i just haven't done it yet so (laughs) sorry (laughs) okay uh one more final and like probably the dumbest uh announcement um maybe i don't know it's not dumb it's actually really cool but like it's dumb you'll 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 get the joke in a minute okay so on december 11th (laughs) a monumental occasion is occurring that monumental occasion is the very first ever live Magnificast recording. <laughs> um, okay, so it's funny. Uh, so Dean is coming down to Greenville. Uh, we're going to have kind of a conversation uh, on campus live in front of some students. Um, uh, we're talking about uh, the integration of uh, Christianity and politics and how that plays out in some different lives. So we're going to bring in a few guests, talk talk to them, um, probably get some good and funny student questions. Uh, so if you want to come to Greenville on December 11th, you're welcome to. Um, my uh, my house will be full of people, so you can't really stay there, but, you know, you could <laughs> hang out. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, we'll definitely post it in our stream of usual, usual podcasts every week. So you'll get to hear it whether you're there or not, whether you want to or not. We'll, we're going to force you to listen to it. <laughs> That's right. For free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna apply force and sneak into your room at night and put headphones in your ears and you will have to listen to it for free okay <laughs> congratulations all right so uh let, let's uh let's stop all of this nonsense and uh go to our conversation <laughs> with sarah So, Sarah, uh, we're really intrigued by the work that you do, both with Church Clarity and in the DSA with Religious Socialism. And we uh, basically, like, we've seen these things on the Internet, but we don't know that much about them. So could you just start maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself and then your work with those two, uh, at least those two parts of your life? So I live in Brooklyn, New York, um, and I've been in New York for a good while now, although not originally from here. And sort of my day-to-day living is mostly as a ghostwriter of sorts, um, but it's a it's an occupation that gives me a fair amount of free time, which is a bit of a luxury, um, and I invest that free time in a lot of projects. So one of them is the DSA. Um, kind of looped into it fairly recently. Um, socialism is definitely like a new thing that I was exploring, uh, that I've been exploring, and 
part the the religious socialism working group specifically, which used to be a lot more active and robust. I think they had like a quarterly um, mailing they would send out to churches and pastors would subscribe and talk about their thoughts on socialism. They have like they have still have the paper copies of that if you want to take a look. Um, but then I think. I'm not sure how it kind of died down, but maybe the religious right maybe killed it. I'm not super sure what happened, but uh, <laughs> now uh, now it's it was dormant for a while, and now it's picking back up. So I met with uh, Maxine Phillips, who's the main person who runs it in New York. Uh, she's based in New York, and she said, hey, you have some journalism skills. I said, I do. I do some freelance reporting. Um, do you want to do interviews for us? I was like, sure. She's like, do you want to do a podcast for us? I said, I've never done that. Um but luckily, a friend of mine who um, I knew from college, I went to J school, has a, f- a decent audio editing production background. So she helps me produce it. Um, so we, yeah, I guess I, I'm usually on the other side of these interviews. I um, interview people of faith who uh, do progressive work in some way. Some socialists, I'm not. Some Christians, I'm not. Um, the last two episodes, actually, we're hoping to put up are with someone who's Muslim, someone who's Jewish. So that, that's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, so there's a blog, there's a whole thing beyond the podcast, um, but we're looking to kind of expand the team and make it, and I tell a lot of people about your podcast because I feel like it's a good, uh, a lot of people in the group obviously are Christian as well, so, um, I was like, if you want really solid leftist stuff, uh, especially on a theoretical level, I I tell them to go to you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. (laughs) That's kind of you. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I I just off the hand, I would say like, I feel like a lot of progressive Christian stuff tends to be a more insular conversation. I feel like your podcast is something that I could share to anyone who identifies as a leftist, um, you know, regardless of belief or faith and they would take it seriously. They'll find it valuable, informative, that kind of thing. So that's, um, high bar and then uh what else the church clarity stuff oh yeah that is also a recent project um uh i got looped into over the summer which uh is a database that scores churches and how clearly they communicate their lgbtq policies and i kind of got interested in it um, by way of my journalism sort of like um kind of skill set or experience because i see it really as like an investigative journalistic piece where we crowdsource like publicly available information into one centralized place and organize it where it's clear where churches are at. And um, that was what intrigued me about this. And I can go more into a bit more of that, but I more or less at this point run the database for Church Clarity. There's another guy, Tim, who runs like the marketing and branding and all outward facing stuff. And another guy named George who kind of um, does everything else like big vision stuff, partnership, what have you. So I manage like a team of volunteers, about five to eight people, like random people scattered throughout the U.S. There's a person who helps us from her sailboat in Granada. Uh, she's like wow. retired. That's awesome. I know, she's like That's a retired crazy. mom who's like really passionate and doesn't know what to do at the time. Maybe I don't know. Um, but uh, so yeah, that's we the, the we get. Uh, submissions through the database right now we're about 1100 submissions um and we're about three what one month old so it's been good a lot of submissions and we are slowly going through them we have a pretty rigorous vetting process so um but we're catching up and slowly getting more and more published that sounds so cool um man good projects that you're involved with (laughs) 
Um, well, can we can we start off talking about religious socialism for a bit, and then we can kind of move sure. to church clarity? I think we have a few a yeah. few kind of points about both. All right. Um, okay, so religious socialism it used to be sort of like a thing in the United States, uh, more of like a so you said it was like a publishing uh, sort of project where people would send out mailings to pastors. That's really cool. Um, what's the connection between religious socialism and, and the DSA? I guess I've I, the only thing I really know about religious socialism is uh, what you've just said, and then also the Wikipedia page that I've read. Uh, so maybe you could give us a little bit more uh, about the history or the the idea behind religious socialism and uh, how it's connected to the DSA. The religious social group is older than the DSA. Uh, it was started in the 70s by John Court, a Catholic activist in the Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee. It had a print newsletter for about 30 years. Um, which you can find if you click on religioussocialism.org. It has the archives of that. I think it started in 1977. Um, but then after the founder died at age 92, they stopped the publication. But now they're trying to reboot with the website. So I don't know if we're officially a working group yet. I think we have like are trying to file the paperwork. I mean, the DSA in general has like ballooned. And so there are all these groups, you know, the socialist feminist group, the environmental group, the tech DSA people, media DSA, you know. So I think right now DSA, it seems like, is in a place where they're just trying to get, like, systems and processes in place so that people are communicating one another and there's, like, things on paper, like, actual governance systems, that type of thing. Um, what else? I think most people in the group, yeah, from this email... Um, come from Catholic evangelical Protestant backgrounds. Actually, quite a few Catholics, um, but the way you know people are Buddhists, Wiccans, Jews, Muslims, what have you. Um, DSA in general, I think, is particularly compared to the ISO or some other organizations, tries to be like a big tent organization. So um, you would try to be as intersectional and coalition minded as possible while we're staying true to like our core tenets. That's a little bit about the flavor. That's really cool. Um, I was looking through some of the blog archives, and I do really appreciate the sort of like inter interfaith, or I mean, not interfaith. I guess like just the the different faiths represented. That's not just Christians. I really like that sort of perspective uh, from lots of different folks. It's yep. really nice. Yeah, it's cool. Um, have you had any experience kind of working through uh, these um, connections? Like, has there been anything that's kind of jumped out where? I don't know, maybe you've been surprised by some of the ecumenical or interfaith conversations that have happened around some of these organizing efforts, or is it still kind of maybe too young to like get that far yet? Uh, but I'm, I'm just like very curious about how coalitions come together because they're hard to manage, but sometimes they're also like surprisingly exciting. Yeah, I'm trying to think through the, um, the most recent sort of religious socialism meeting we had in New York City. I think it was still predominantly Christian, but um, people... Um, were, I think, be talking about, like, different... I think the what we talked about was Israel. I think that was the big thing that we talked about that was like, oh, okay, this doesn't... You don't usually <laughs> talk about these things in, like, even job, in like Christian progressive circles. Because I think yeah. I, I, I was, you know, I was trying to be a bit troublemaker. I was like, well, what do we feel about someone who is pro-life or anti-abortion but otherwise identifies with the tenets of DSA? You know, how do you guys think about what it looks like to create a space for people with maybe different views on parts of DSA's platform. And so once we got into abortion stuff and, like you know, pro-life Catholics, what have you, um, then the BDS vote came up because the DSA in a recent national convention voted to endorse uh, a BDS resolution, which is uh, the Boycott Divestment Sanctions uh, Resolution for uh, all Israel stuff. 
And there were some people in the group, Christians included, who disagreed with it. So we talked about that. And it seemed like it was almost like this is a space for people who have um, almost these these other commitments and other traditions that orient them differently on certain issues. And this is a space for people to kind of bring that to the table and not feel like afraid of like voicing the fact that maybe they are pro-life or maybe they don't support BDS. Um, so it became that. But I think the most salient thing that so far I've encountered, uh, I, we're not at the point where we're organizing marches together or, I don't know, calling politicians. There is an interfaith group that does that in New York City and they do really good work. Um, but most recently I did record an interview with someone who um, was Jewish and I was talking to him about Israel stuff and he just paused and said, I think we Jews are held to a double standard because we're always asked to account for the actions of the state of Israel, but Christians are never asked to account for the actions of the United States, even though its founders are Christian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can insert X country at this point in there. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. that's a good point. I think at first, probably on the podcast interview, I reacted a bit defensively. I was like, well, well, we're asked to account for other things, blah, blah. But I think it was good to get that kind of challenge from him and realize that, yeah, there's a lot of... Um, assumptions we make as we take as normative uh as christians and it was helpful to hear a challenge from him uh yeah that's really cool (laughs) that's really neat i'm glad those conversations are happening uh i remember when i went to the first uh i'm a dsa member i went to the first uh group meeting and like that was a big conversation we had was just uh i mean it um i'm in st louis area and uh, the, the like, the, one of the very first sort of organizational kind of questions we had was like, how do we actually appeal to people who are religious and conservative? Uh, because there are some things that we can see, you know, shaking out where they would be on board, and some things where they wouldn't be so much. Uh, so it's just cool to hear other people having those conversations, especially from different faith backgrounds, and how that plays out. That's uh, incredibly needed. Um, are you guys hoping to kind of develop into a group that organizes religious communities, or do you feel like right now it sounds like there's a lot of strength and just kind of having that open space where people can come and be honest about how they feel about their faith and about their politics coming together like is there a kind of down the road um idea uh, like what would it mean for you to be a working group in the dsa that kind of a thing yeah i wish i um, attended the last meeting last week that i could give you more updates um but i had something where i couldn't get out of it um i would say that i think that's definitely on the table most likely we would my suspicion is that we would explore like what interfaith justice organizing organizations are already doing in New York City. Because in New York City, you have a fair amount of whatever religion you're looking for, someone's already kind of doing it. Um, so I, my sense is that when at least the meeting I attended, the it seemed like there was an appetite for just to have discussion and conversation before we jump into action per se. So I think we proposed that, you know, before a meeting, before we meet, we like read an article or we listen to an interview and we gather and we kind of discuss it and get some thoughts going. So that definitely seemed to resonate with people when I was there. And I think we'll continue building that community and that conversation. And then presumably the next stage for that would look like some sort of action and organizing. Um, yeah, that's really neat. Uh, it just seems like a very... Um cool thing to kind of watch the religious left i guess find its voice again find out how to work together uh under these different organizations um uh we are curious a little bit about how you kind of see your work there with religious socialism and your work with uh church clarity uh kind of working together 
Um, how do you kind of navigate those things? Do you feel like these are separate projects, like different parts of your life? Do you feel like they kind of are motivated by from a similar stream um, of being a Christian or being a leftist or whatever? How do those two things come together? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing they probably have in common is that there there is a religious faith component. And I think I've been a Christian longer than I have been a socialist or leftist. So that underlying identity or, or I don't know, practice or belief system, however you put it, um, it's something that motivates a lot of my choices that I make or how to spend my time, what I get involved with. I, I mean, I I would say what I knew I had to do this interview. I thought you might ask this question. Uh, when I stepped back and thought, I thought about like, what is the overlap, <laughs> right? What's the Venn diagram here? Um, oh, on one hand, they do feel different um, a lot. Because in addition to church clarity stuff, I do like queer Christian sort of community building in New York City. Um based out of my church with a few people, but then also expands beyond the church. And a lot of that stuff is very identity-based. You know, it's about your experiences, about your stories, and, you know, you're pulling people from a cross-section of economic backgrounds, um, typically. And, you know, there, no no one's talking. Uh, there's not, like, a materialist analysis, so to speak, in these conversations. And then when you get to religious, when in the socialist kind of space, one of the reasons why I find it refreshing, actually, is that, identities do matter but we're also going to have like a more comprehensive and robust kind of analysis about something that is that affects identities but is not just about identities so I I actually appreciate um, the differences in the worlds but I think when it comes specifically to the similarities that I see between my project at Church Clarity and Project Religious Socialism I think in either case you're bucking up against this um, system um, that you know you can call the religious right, you can call whatever evangelical old guard, um, but regardless, it's a system that has a lot of power and a lot of money. And I think what I religious socialism, I think at this point we don't really have an action plan, at least that I know of. Maybe they had it in the last meeting where they're saying, "Here's how we're going to take down the religious right." Or, <laughs> or build it or just laugh. I mean, yeah. at this point, yeah. you know, it's like putting out content, it's like conversation, like, you know, things that we're all basically trying to do. Um, but what I appreciate about Church Clarity is that it's a different angle into change. Is it's We're not just trying to, you know, make a case for why gay people should be in the church. I mean, that's not even part of our, really our immediate concern. Um, we're, it's a, it's a, a mode of enacting change that that is about applying pressure uh, on like these systems of power and money. Um, and, and I think it's, and in doing it in a way that holds individuals accountable as much as we can. So, so we not, we don't just have a church on a database. We have the pastor's name and sometimes the pastor's email or Twitter handle on the database. Um, so hmm. we're sort of saying you can't hide behind, you know, the pulpit of the website. We're going to hold you directly accountable as much as we can. And of course, the system that they're operating on is much larger than them, but um, that it, it's it's our way as much as we can to call out the the machinations, so to speak, that go on behind the scenes. So, I, I don't know. Long story short, I think I think um, uh, this gets into a slightly longer thing. But what ultimately prevents a lot of churches from becoming clearer, or not even clearer, but in this case, just affirming in theology? And by affirming, I mean um, like, okay with queers, essentially, um, is not mm-hmm. even the pastor's theology, because you, you have a lot of pastors who are p- 
personally sympathetic or personally affirming. Um, but from just anecdotally, a lot of what present, prevents them is money. Um, they're afraid they'll lose the funding from the denomination or that the building that the denomination owns is going to be taken away from them. Um, so I can go into like a lot of examples along those lines, but it's, it's really, it kind of, it boils down basically to who owns the assets, um, who, what donors are going to leave when they find out. And, you know, these things are the things that really slow churches down on like any kind of social progress. So I, I think in some way the battles are very similar. Yeah. That is very fascinating. I mean, underlying the, the kind of material causes underlying why somebody or why a particular church wouldn't want to be affirming or clear about that, I think is a really cool way of actually understanding what's at stake in those kinds of conversations. Uh, anecdotally, I go to this school in Toronto called the Institute for Christian Studies. And in the 1990s, there was a pretty famous conference here where two professors famously came out uh, in favor of LGBT relationships in the church. And uh, our school is almost shut down and almost uh, taken away from us by the denomination uh, for that particular stance, which is crazy because the school has a history of being opposed to um, unbridled capitalism and being opposed to racism and all kinds of really, you know, kind of hot button issues. But that was the one that the denomination was like, no, you can't do that. Like, that's the last straw. So there is something very unique about um, LGBT issues and kind of the material consequences what of them. What denomination is your school part of? Uh, it comes out of the Christian Reformed Church, which is a Dutch Reformed movement in yeah. North America. Yeah, yeah, Reformed churches are interesting. Yeah, there, there, and there, there are all kinds of ways in which churches. <laughs> there are some churches who try to defy their denomination, and they can kind of get away with it because their region is pretty progressive. Because the way discipline is enforced is tends to be regional based. If once we get into like denominational, like real, real, like more mainline denominational stuff, like the Reformed Church of America is a good example. Um, the United Methodist Church is another good example, but non-denominational churches, uh, or like so, so to speak, non-denom, uh, they still have networks that uh, that provide funding affiliations. And actually, those it seems like tend to be a lot more punitive. Like uh, Southern Baptist churches are supposed hmm. to let churches just go with their conscience. You know, that's what it means to be a Baptist, right? It's like versus a uh, Episcopalian church, which is a lot more hierarchical. Um, Baptists supposed to give. Baptists are supposed to give churches more local autonomy, but when they find out a church is affirming, they will vote every time to kick them out of the denomination. So it kind of becomes mm. de facto a very like tightly policed thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I come from a non-denominational background, so this is a bit of my, my crash course in learning about denominations and the craziness that they operate but yeah it, yeah. it is the red i think it's the red line i was talking to some of the jewish who's like yeah i feel like israel issues tend to be the red line for jews and i think um lgbtq stuff you can ask someone that's progressive and raised so we'll talk about you know the evils of capitalism or exploitation of labor but it's like oh but this is how i read the bible so i'm sorry this is where i am hmm. yeah right that is really fascinating to hear about well, uh, this is a question that maybe takes us a little step back, uh, but I want to hear you <laughs> kind of talk us through this. So I submitted my okay. church to Church Clarity, and uh, and because like LGBTQ issues are contentious in my denomination, I think it's like really important. And I would love to hear what my pastors actually say and how they respond to this. Um, I'm on the board of administrators, so I imagine that like somehow I'll get roped into this conversation even at some point, which will be mm. very, very funny. What's the name of your church, um, Matt? So I'll look it up right now. Uh yeah, it's called St. Paul's Free Methodist Church. 
I submitted the other day. I don't know if I submitted all of the information. Oh, okay. I think I did. Got it. Yeah, it's in. Yeah, it's um, a really nice and liberal denomination uh, that I that has not made a very clear statement on this fact. So um, I thought it'd be really fun to so, do this. As of today, I think we just emailed them, uh, asking them to fill to fill oh, out nice. our survey, um, which is a four question survey that says, "Are you will you uh, hire, ordain, marry, and baptize an LGBTQ person?" Uh, and the reason why we put churches through the survey system is if we cannot really discern the policy on their website. Mm-hmm. So your church, it looks like, is yep, pretty unclear, yep. and we could. We could come to a conclusion um, because essentially, more or less, if there's nothing but you're part of a, a denomination that more or less is non-affirming, in this case, is the Free Methodist Church under the United, United no, Methodist? No, it's, it it's separate. Altogether? Okay. Yeah. So it looks like, yeah, we'll, we'll see what the church says. Yeah. Does your denomination overall have a, a policy? Is there a denominational policy? Uh, I'm pretty sure that there is, and it is not positive. Do you know how discipline-oriented they are? <laughs> uh, very much so. Okay. So most likely your church is going to be scored as unclear and non-affirming. That, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, but so that's, I mean, that's disappointing, obviously, but also um, unsurprising and kind of helpful in some ways, too, to be, um, I guess, labeled by some type of ex- external body. That drives us to have some different conversations. So I see it being pretty positive, actually, for us if that is something that happens. Um, so is that how the, that's how the process works though? Somebody submits, uh, the name of their church and you guys do the research on the back end and send them a survey. And then you kind of, uh, you gather enough information to label them in one of your categories. Yeah. I mean, for most churches, we don't need to send them a survey. We send surveys if we think the church might potentially be affirming, but we're not super clear. Um, in this case, I think I'm not, I I don't know. I, I just opened it up, but most likely this church will I don't know if we even really need the survey. It depends how they come back, but most likely we'll just do non-affirming. But yeah, I mean, we our team, you know, we're looking through websites, we're listening to sermons. So mm. we have a guy on our team who transcribes sermons using a software he uses. Um, hmm. wow. <laughs> and we're digging up like old constitutional bylaws, like someone, and a lot of it is not, you know, some of it's just our team doing a lot of exhaustive research, but a lot of it is, congregants telling us where to look yeah so we have we've had people just give us like here's the link to um this church's newsletter campaign where they announce their position but it's not on their website and they'll like send us the links to look at that and then we're like okay great as long as there's there's a evidence we can point to so it's not just my experience so you know so right. we try not to be like yelp or glassdoor <laughs> um then We'll then we'll put it. <laughs> then we'll we'll score it, and if we can't find anything, we'll rate it as undisclosed, and you know who knows what happens yeah. there. But, um, but yeah, we we're trying to apply a little bit of uh, urgency to these questions. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. I mean, they are urgent questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to completely derail the conversation with like stuff about my church, but uh, my church has a lot of like laity preaching there pretty often. So we have lots of sermons that actually end up being kind of open and affirming in some interesting ways. But mm. it still doesn't change the denominational stance, nor does it necessarily change the official chance, uh, stance of our church. So I just, I just hope that like, uh, I'd hope that this like it somehow makes a better conversation in our denomination uh, about these issues, uh, and so we can be upfront about like what it is that we're actually about if uh, 
I don't know if it's important to people. So it's cool. I really appreciate this work so much. I, one thing I thought was really interesting about this process is that you don't look just at uh, doctrine or, or um, sermons per se, but you evaluate policy. And that's such an interesting way of looking at churches, uh, especially in terms of their affirming stance, because it's like, well, you may have one particular pastor or one particular priest who seems to be open and affirming, but that doesn't necessarily translate to what it would actually mean to be an LGBT person yeah. going to that church, trying to participate in it in a full kind of open way. And I mean, I hadn't even really thought about that, which makes me a bad materialist, I guess. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. when I thought about what it means to be like affirming, I it hadn't really crossed my mind that, that you would also have to ask these kind of um, like more boring questions, which are actually the more like useful questions. Like what, yeah. what would happen if somebody tried to, you know, like be on a board or something like that's yep. really a cool way of going about it. Yeah. And it's funny in the survey, we could include a question of like, will you let a LGBTQ person tithe to the church or give money? But it's pointless <laughs> because of course they would, you know, like yeah, <laughs> they'll take money. We'll take money for anyone basically. Um, so <laughs> if you want to get into like more materialist stuff, yeah, you have people who are contributing money who are contributing labor as a volunteer um, like emotional labor, you know, all that kind of stuff without being clear as to the terms of their, like, status in the church. Um, mm. There was a, yeah, we get tons of stories. Um, and it's just recently a friend was telling me that um, there was a church that was very queer-affirming in terms of language. They let queer people uh, lead worship, you know, lead small groups, um, be really visible. But... Uh, drew the line at officiating marriages um, and that wasn't clear to a lot of people until they got really invested and kind of involved in the church so it's just yeah it is I think in some ways like businesses I mean th there's an argument to make whether or not this is equivalent to false advertising which is technically illegal um, and, and regulated right and, and like business for profit sectors if i tell you that these pants cost ten dollars but it's really fifty dollars and you don't find out until your credit card is charged you know something like that mm -hmm. um that's like you can you know there's a fine i don't know what the process is but churches for some reason although they're tax subsidized and everything that seem to have a much greater leeway in how they communicate so i'm not sure what's going on mm -hmm. there um well uh so you said that you were more from a a non-denominational background, and this has been uh, illuminating in terms of denomination. Uh, have you found many uh, instances where churches kind of like distinguish themselves from their denomination, um, or does it does it seem like mostly people kind of stick with the uh, the party the party or church line? I guess. Um, yes, there are instances in which they go against the denomination. Um, there's a, I think the clearest example we saw was a, a United Methodist church. United Methodists generally are not affirming, and they technically will discipline you if so, but once again, discipline depends on the region. This thing is a church called Chicago Temple, uh, and it says not only will we officiate same-sex marriages, but we will set up legal funds in case our pastor gets prosecuted. Wow. Uh, for hmm. doing so. So they're very clear, like, we're here to defy our denomination and we will bear the consequences of that. Um, some churches um, do essentially do that, but they are not as clear on the website due to, like, I don't know, the pastor's not super tech savvy and whoever's running it is, like, a volunteer or whatnot. So um, 
so for those churches, in order to really sift like you know the sheep from the goats and whatnot, that's why we did the survey, <laughs> just to say, yeah. okay, right. tell just be super clear. Will you do this? Will you not do this? Etc. And what we found is some churches will respond to the survey and say yes on this, but no on these. And some churches say yes mm-hmm. on everything, and we're not allowed to, but we are, you know, going against our denomination. So it's it's a way of cut. This is in some ways going beyond websites. Now we're sort of creating a new standard of clarity um, beyond just like what information you have available. Okay, so there's this word that I hear whenever I go to a church, uh, especially, I mean, Protestant churches specifically, uh, this word I hear is hospitality. And I'm thinking about how what you guys are doing is actually like really beneficial towards the idea of hospitality in churches. And I wonder what you'd have to say about that. Um, Like, uh, you know, churches are really concerned about being seeker sensitive or whatever, and they want to like bring people in and all that kind of good stuff, giving you coffee and donuts, which is like, I don't know, basically the reason to go to church in the first place. Um, but uh, in, in a way, it seems like church clarity is um, about making trips, uh, about making churches more hospitable towards LGBTQ people. Um, how do you see that playing out? Do you, do you know people that like use this website to kind of figure out what church they really want to go to? Or do you feel like this is something something else? Yeah, I mean, lots of good questions. When it comes to hospitality, I mean, I would argue actually that I think we are creating a better, more hospitable uh, environment for people to walk into. I mean, no one likes to be deceived. No one wants to be misled. So just eliminating that harm or that potential for sense of betrayal is like obviously a good thing, I think. And I don't know. There's no good Mm -hmm. argument against it, I think. Although people have found ways to argue against what we're doing, but... So far, the arguments seem to not be so great. But I would argue it's actually the desire to be hospitable that is causing a lack of clarity. Oddly enough, at least the veneer of hospitality. Yeah. Um, the, you know, churches want to be seen as welcoming people, inclusive, inclusive, you know, we're here for everyone. And some of that might just be like a very instrumentalist strategic thing of like, get the gays in the door and then hopefully they'll convert or something like that. Um, right. You know, like... But some of that might just be like, we don't want to seem, we don't have bad PR, we don't want to be like a Westboro Baptist person, so, I don't know, pat ourselves on our back for not saying like, you know, God hates fags or something like that. Um, we're at least better than them, although from a policy standpoint, they're not that much different. So it, it's it's right. the hospitality thing, um, plus like political correctness, plus like all these like tr- evangelical churches are really good at branding and marketing, I think. Uh, and just being like seen as very savvy, so um, at least on their websites and their pastors and stuff like that. So yeah. I think there's that. In terms of the latter question you had was like why people go to our database. I mean, we've only had we've been around for like a month. Um, I think certainly people have told us that um, they have been looking for a resource like this because they live in a place where maybe they're not in a super populous city, so they don't really know, you know what churches are out there that would be affirming it. And it's very exhausting to church attend, ask to speak to the minister. Hi, minister, I'm gay. Will you let me, you know, like, all <laughs> the, like it's, it's just like a, you're going to email all churches to find out before you attend. Like there's just a lot of, a lot of big rigmarole. Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, a, you know, it's a vulnerable thing. You're kind of embarrassed to like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think people are doing for that, but I think also people seem to um, be uploading churches to our website um, to tell, to like warn other people, if that makes mm. sense. There's someone yeah. who tweeted something 
just like a a person, you know, not like a big name person, just like a regular person. And she said, if it is a she, um, I'll just say they said, it feels really empowering to put churches I've intended on church clarity. I don't want anyone else feeling the burn of a bait and switch. On that note, have any churches responded to you kind of negatively based on like how you've labeled them on your website or uh, not so much? We've gotten, I think most churches are trying to ignore it and hope, you know, no one pays attention. Um, we have gotten to a couple of conversations um, with, I think I can disclose this, yeah, the, um, the, the, the pastor of uh, North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is, I think, maybe the largest church in America or something like that. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Andy Stanley. Notoriously, like, really ambiguous. He'll say stuff like, churches should be the safest place for gay teenagers. Um, but then, you know, probably it's, you know, has no like clear policy stated anywhere Mm, on the website. So, um, he, I think reached out to one of us on Twitter through like dark messaging DMs and just said, um, and I think we asked him like, Hey, you know, we rated your church as undisclosed. Um, let us know if you want to change your policy, your score based on your policy. And he wrote back something like, uh, you know, at North Point, we do not have a policy because policies draw a line in the sand and we're not about, you know, excluding (laughs) or including people. So so I was like, I think you definitely hired a PR team for that kind of work. You so. you would think like I don't know maybe you should draw a line in the sand over like um like homophobia or something that seems like something you'd want yeah. to exclude I don't, I don't know maybe not <laughs> it's a good line yeah it was like it it's it's kind of like what they're it it's smart it's like rhetorically smart because it, it makes it seem like we're the bad guys right. for drawing a line in the sand and being divisive but all we're doing is revealing <laughs> the lines you already draw in the sand. So, and anecdotally, from what I understand, this church, I mean, it's not on on the website, but just from people I know, and, you know, I hope we don't get sued for slander, but it should be fine. Um, (laughs) uh, In order to volunteer that church in the childcare nursery, for instance, you have to sign a form saying that you will not engage Uh, in homosexual conduct, what have you. So they have, obviously, as a policy, I mean, you kind of run like a million people church without some policy. So yeah. it's just like, it's not only just rhetorically like what you're trying to do, but also just inaccurate. So I don't know. So there's that. And then there's the other guy who I sent you some tweet links to. Um, yeah. Yeah. McManus, who's just like, our clarity is love. And it's like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like the least clear position. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this weekend I went off on this like really dumb Twitter rant about a really annoying and vague sermon I heard at my church on Sunday. And, uh, I think, uh, what, what you've said too kind of like resonates that like, uh, Christian churches are, uh, very good at kind of empty rhetoric that doesn't really mean anything or actually could mean everything, right? It's like enthymemic in the sense that people can just kind of fill in the blanks, you know, based on what they want that to actually mean, whereas the policy might be different. Um, so something I really appreciate about uh, Church Clarity is that you guys don't necessarily go after doctrine on anyone's website, uh, is, but you go after uh, policy, and like that's what you actually evaluate. Um, how have you guys found this uh, to work, though? Do, do you find that like uh, 
like policy is com- sometimes like disconnected from doctrine or do you think that the doctrine plays into it at all? How does that, yeah, that no, is there an actual it's a good question? There? So um, I would say to be super precise when it comes to scoring non-affirming churches, as long as we hear not as we see evidence of non-affirming theology, we're going to take that as proxy for policy. So, but we do not make the same assumption on the other side. So if a, a pastor is going to give an affirming theology or like say gay people are or like whatever good married, have you, um, you know, supportive trans people, whatever. And we're not going to give them a affirming score at this point in time until we see like actual policies spelled out. And that's the, um, that's why we did the whole survey kind of thing. Cause we realized that, I mean, a good example is we're engaged in this, you know, Facebook conversation. We have like a church clarity advocates Facebook group, and there's someone in our group who is um, who belongs to a church that is affirming in every way except for uh, marriages. But their workaround is they say we can't officiate your marriage in your in our building because we belong to this denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, which does mm. not permit us to do so. But we'll happily happily refer you to a pastor who would do it and like you know help you set it up, so to speak. So it's as close of a workaround as possible. And that's a good example of an affirming <laughs> theology, but not affirming policy. And we had, you know, right. it did cause some internal, like, conflict within our teams. Like, do, you know, what do we do with this church? How should we score it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's why we ended up being like, you know, at the end of the day, labels of affirming and non-affirming get a little gray, we acknowledge. And that's why we did the survey. But I don't know if this church is actually going to fill out our survey because they, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But yeah, that's that's an example of a divergence of theology and policy. Um, so uh, maybe just switching gears a little bit, uh, I really like this project. And uh, so Matt and I on this podcast, I guess, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about communism, but we try to be intentional about not being too reductive toward like, a, like we don't think that class liberation is like the ultimate liberation or something. And I think Christians have kind of an implicit uh notion of this i guess because we are so bad at like every every single thing uh, as like a historical community christians aren't very good on things like race or um gender identity or what have you so in terms of uh lgbtq liberation in the church specifically do you feel like uh church clarity is a way of kind of advancing you know the horizon of liberation by virtue of holding these people accountable and making people kind of be honest about how they feel do you feel like there are limits to it? What do you feel like um, Christians on the left might be able to contribute to that kind of broader project? So your question is, how do we situate ourselves within like this broader, you know, revolution or progressive movement within? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like to think that we are, this is a question we've had. I think we provide the database to organize. Um, so on both sides. So, if you want to just um, look up all non-affirming churches in your area and like email the pastors and be like, hey, what's up? Why? What's your policy? Or what? You know, you're unclear. Can you be clearer? Which we create actually. Oh, it's a way for you to email the church right on our website, and it'll pop up. Mm. Um, that it's. I think I see it as similar to like call your representative. You know, to find out there. Are, you know, there's a healthcare bill. I'm going to call my representative. And be like, what is your position in this bill? We, I want you to vote this way. Um, so, and but it's also a way I think to potentially organize the left. So if we have if we have a list of churches who are queer affirming, and then I think in March we're going to do uh, women in leadership, 
And we have a list of churches who are hmm. supportive of women and egalitarian. And then if we might tackle race in the fall. Um, and so it, wow. once, we, once we get this kind of list in the database, uh, I think that would be, it's just, any, if you want to do anything at large scale, you need data, I think. So that's what yeah. we hope to provide. And I think there's also just no way to have actual conversations about, you know, theology or even policy until you know what the position is. Like a, my sister goes to uh, a church uh, that I know to be non-affirming because I just know people who are, are have been in that church for a long time and have had conversations with the pastors. And I asked her, like, do you know your church's policy? And she said, well, my pastor has never really preached on it, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's anti-gay or what have you. I was like, well, actually, he is. He just doesn't preach on it. Um, hmm. But until she realizes that, she's not going to then have that follow-up conversation with the pastor to be like, hey, why is our church policy this way? You know, I have a sister, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think just understanding the landscape and where people are and their positions and where people have staked their flags is just an important starting point so that you can begin to sort of talk honestly. I mean, people generally know obviously that churches are non-affirming, but to know that this church around the corner in my block, um, blah, 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 has this position that changes the conversation a lot more and hopefully leads to like action. So I don't know. I, I think part of me struggles with like, is it, um, it, you know, I think what we're doing is important and like being laying, I think, a foundational element for people to then take action and use our data and what have you. Um, but I think I have a broader question in general of if it's even how much is it worth the time a while to try to change churches uh, that are, have, you know, that are pretty conservative with theology and have been for a long time and probably are not going to be not going to change anytime soon. And how much is it more worth our while to invest in new churches or new denominations? Um, and I think hopefully the da- our database can show you kind of information about both sides. Uh, but that's a big kind of ongoing question for me is like, what is, should we be looking to revolutionize existing churches or just like start new communities? I don't know. Hmm. Um, wow. Cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, I do I do really like the aspect though where it's just a collection of information about churches and then you're like okay uh call your call your pastor call your representative kind of thing uh the idea that you could democratize po- church policy mm-hmm. in that way is kind of a funny and pretty radical idea I suppose I mean usually uh church hierarchy is you know magical mysterious etc uh so uh, putting a phone number by someone's name is like okay we'll call this guy and ask him what's up <laughs> is pretty cool i think that's really fun yep yeah and well, it's a bit trickier with catholics dean because i know you're catholic based on what i hear from my right. po- the podcast right. um and i talked to, i talked to someone just be like hey do you think we should put catholics on a website like what do you think is the best way to approach catholic churches and I've got kind of mixed feedback, so we're not going to move forward with that at this point in time, unless you have a strong opinion as to whether this would be useful for Catholic churches. Because the feedback I got was that even if churches are going to be like subversively affirming through like a variety of ways, I was, and it's also this, there's some real limitations on what they cannot do, but you know, what have you. Um, right. Most likely the priest is not going to be, not going to want that uh information floating around in a very explicit way and so church catholic church websites are queer friendly i think is the best way you can do it say it um 
will hint at that through saying we have an LGBT ministry, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they're not right. going to then say like, and we're going to offer the sacraments of this and this to this person's partner if that person is dead and we're going to have a burial. You know, I don't know what the exact terminology is. Yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. I mean, uh, having ministries is basically the way that the Catholic Church gets around most things uh, for better and worse. So you can have like a gay affirming ministry uh, and then your church is kind of off the hook because if someone has to get in trouble, it's going to be the people that run the ministry and not like the, the parish priest per se or something. So, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't expect a lot of Catholic parishes on church clarity, I guess. Uh, at least uh, I wouldn't expect a lot of like clear affirming Catholic parishes, uh, but yeah. uh, boy, would I like to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so that's good to know. I didn't know that about the ministries. Yeah, I mean, it's that's not like a universal rule, but at least uh, in my experience, that's how it's been, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh have you found like uh some denominations that you find are like more or less affirming um like are there just sort of themes of these this denomination seems to be on kind of a trajectory toward being more and more affirming those kinds of data has that come up at all um yeah actually we have a spreadsheet that i've just opened up uh where we have listed 33 denominations and we have them organized by affirming not affirming how discipline oriented they are, uh, hmm. linked to policy, linked to like women stuff. So the looking at this list, the non-affirming column is definitely a lot more filled up than the affirming. But the thing you have to keep in mind. So affirming, what do I have here? I have American Catholic churches, which apparently I did not know existed, but that's a thing. And they're an affirming <laughs> Catholic denomination. Um, I don't know, not Roman Catholic, but you have the ELCA, yeah. uh, the PCUSA. Um, obviously Episcopal Church at large, but the thing you have that have it's important to keep in mind with affirming denominations is that none of them require their churches to be affirming. Right. So you could be an Episcopal Church, but you know not be affirming. So that's it. It gets tricky. It's really more like they permit affirming churches to exist, but they're not going to enforce it per se. Um. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say, like, coming from a non-denom background, there are a fair number. I've seen an increase in evangelical churches that have become affirming. And for them, they have to worry less about the denominations and more about donors in their pews. Mm-hmm. Um, and But once they figure out the money question, uh, they're like, okay, we can move forward. You know, there's, there's no one they have to, like, please or ask permission from. They can just kind of make that call. Uh, and some churches, you know... I think one of my friends, one of my co-founders, George, he was a pastor of Evangelical Mega Church in Seattle, and his church lost like half its donors and half its funding, and had to cut high, fire a lot of people. And so, but he his church was one of the first ones out of the gate. Um, so I wow. think people were just like, "What the fuck?" I mean, and that was like twenty fifteen. So, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> but since then. <laughs> Since then, there have been more churches that have done that. In my, I belong to an evangelical church that has done something similar and has weathered the transition fine. We've lost people, but we've kept up, you know, an ability to sustain ourselves financially. Um, hmm. So, I, and I think now they're starting to band together for to create the Open Progressive Evangelical Network, and that is becoming nice. a loose network for these churches that have become orphaned a little bit. Um. Yeah, that is wild to me. Uh, so I had like a brief 
um, a brief adventure through evangelicalism. I went to an evangelical school and uh, I was married in the Episcopal Church. Um, that's like a long, very boring story. But uh, it is so weird to kind of watch evangelicals wrestle through this issue. And I feel like church clarity is such a good way of specifically kind of holding accountable uh, churches that don't have those disciplinary apparatuses. Um, have you kind of noticed anything with that? Like, do you feel like this is maybe one way that, um, you know, you can deal with the challenge of evangelical non-denom churches not having, you know, a bishop that you can point to and be like, well, that guy isn't affirming, so probably yep. that pastor's not either. Yeah, no, I think we talk about that affirm on the FAQ um, about the, the, the fact that there is no, you know, pope you can submit your petitions to and say, please change all doctrine here and out, or policy here and out. I mean, I'm not sure if that's even how it works in the Catholic Church, but at least you kind of know like, who, to submit, <laughs> who to submit your request to. Uh, in my head, the Pope is just like this guy who waves his wand and everything happens. Um, uh, I, I actually kind of wish that he was, but sadly, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knows what goes on in Pope Francis's head. Um, but but yes, the, but there's no clarity of uh, policy that you can just apply across the board. So, you know, if you know a church is part of the PCA, for instance, you know pretty much across the board if it's a PCA church, it's not affirming. But if a church is not a nomination, you have to evaluate church on a church-by-church basis, which is labor-intensive. And so if you have a, a resource you can just pull up, um, it makes it a lot easier. And also, um, I think, I, I think, yeah, if we can clarify the like it'd be almost like uh you're voting for the, like going back to the p- political analogy like if you support universal health care but you don't know who your representative is or or you don't know like which representative is yours or where your representative stands or how to contact them you you know all that kind of stuff it makes it really hard to actually like, mobilize your political representatives to do something and I think non-denom churches hide behind a lot of screens and curtains so that they never get called to action, which makes it really hard to then call them to action on any point. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. I had a question for you guys, actually, if you don't mind. Very last. Oh, very last of bit. course. What do you feel... Well, it's a question, I'm going to say what I think, but I want to know what you think. What do you think the equivalent of this might be for corporations? In a way, not just in, th- in theory, because there are obviously a lot of things that corporations are opaque about, uh, but in a way where you could sort of crowdsource information to figure that information out. So our th- current thinking is, when it comes to policies, most churches, most organiza- businesses, let's just say, technically have non-discrimination clauses in most of their, like, stuff. Um, so it's not really too much a policy question. But um, there is a lot of lack of transparency about salaries and money uh, and who is paid what. And I mean, this is like a small slice of the angle. There are many other things we could tackle. But this is something where I felt like, okay, what if we had a database where people uploaded their job title, uh, the name of their organization, uh, how much they make, and their gender and race. And then we're able to kind of ma- clarify within an organizational structure uh, what 
um, salary, hierarchy, transparency, all that looks like, and map that according to gender and race. That was something we're thinking about doing it at Potential, and I wanted to get your thoughts. Hmm. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I don't really know that much about um, gathering data, per se, I guess, but um, I was actually just talking with uh, my partner, Emily, um, about money and how weird it is that people don't people aren't very open about their wages and they're not very open about their earnings uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, it's sort of culturally embarrassing to uh, compare those notes sometimes, but um, I feel like it's actually really helpful to be open about those things. And maybe if you had a sort of anonymous way of um, making that clear, it would be easier to hold certain companies accountable or something, or at least like maybe that would provide like unions with a way of, uh, you know, um, figuring out other like pressure points that they could push or I don't know. I mean, you know, we're like a revolutionary podcast, so like I'm that in part means that I uh, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about like um, really helpful like reformist practices, but that's not a way of like disparaging them. It's just to say that I'm not like very skilled at it. I guess I don't know, Matt. What do you think? You think a lot about rhetoric. Um, I do a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a cool thing for sure. Um, I guess I'm only th- I'm thinking about it in terms of like, uh, I guess from a Christian perspective um surprise (laughs) yeah i guess right um my thoughts are though that like i don't know christians should have like a really particular sort of view about property and that is uh the view is you know not to be proud of it not to hoard it and not to wield it uh, against other people and i think um a website that collects data like that would be helpful um because I don't know. You can be transparent about how much money you make and how much you're getting paid and like uh, maybe draw correlations between all those things. I don't know. I think that would be a valuable thing um, for uh, people to self-report on that inf- that, that kind of thing um, would be good. <laughs> I don't know. It's not like a very hot take or a very like uh, nuanced one. It's just <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's a very good thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's worth it's worthwhile just kind of like um, – I don't know. I think it. I think it does a few things. It definitely gives um, other workers in the same place sort of like some bargaining power. Like, you know, why is this person yeah, not paid this much, right. or why does this person not get paid very much at all? And I think that is super useful. Um, at the same time, it just kind of like uh, expresses a certain type of uh, position and orientation towards one's wage and private property. That like, I don't know. Maybe it's not a big deal, and like, this is what I have. Um, mm-hmm. So there's maybe two sides of it like that. Yeah, uh, I think it's really interesting. Um, I so I work at a Christian institution, and they definitely uh, keep uh, like how much people get paid on the download. No, no one's supposed to like really tell one another how much they're getting. Is paid that for in your something. contract? Because some companies do them. Like you know, you're that's a really good supposed question. Supposed to disclose it. I don't know if it's in my contract. I should probably check before I start telling people. Um, <laughs> just, I, even if it was, I guess I wouldn't care that much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know if it's in the contract i just know it's like sort of like a hr policy like you know maybe be cool about this or something but i think it's good to share that information with your coworkers um and build solidarity that way like if someone's not getting paid the amount they should like you should know and raise a stink about it um yeah that's right not like like letting your friends not get paid is really crappy so maybe anyways any way that there is to uh make that happen is good yeah the idea in part came about um, because we're thinking about like women in the workplace and gender stuff, but then I was also thinking that my roommate works in a really prominent TV show um, that makes like you know millions of dollars in revenue, and 
she was trying to go up to get a raise, and um, her boss was like, actually, I make it a policy not to know people's salaries and how much they get paid. And so if you want a raise, you have to go to the finance guy who controls uh. the budget. And so she has to, like, not only, so because there's no path, no clarity, she has to do, like, research on how much she should be paid by talking to people right. at com- competitive companies, right? Like, what does someone in my job get paid? Okay, how do I, I have no clue what my coworkers get paid, but I'm just going to throw out a number and make a case for why I deserve to get that. You know, it just, it's all this labor is incumbent upon the individual. Now, obviously, in a, if you're in union, that things are standardized and it's clear. Like, you know, a couple of years, you make this. If you're a teacher, a temp, it's, like, very clear. As long yeah. as you know how many years someone's worked, more or less, you know how much they get paid. So, mm-hmm. um, the, there, the, I mean, the benefit of that is not just the fact that it makes sure, like, you know, companies can do any funny things, uh, but also that it's clear what people are being paid so you can have conversations about it. Yeah, I know that uh, labor organizers would definitely be thankful for that website and that data gathering. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, it's kind of like a, a guerrilla approach to that, though, right? Like where you just have people sort of self-report on like their experiences working different places. And uh, I don't know, people who organize labor uh, unions and stuff would be like very keen to pick some of that up. For sure. And if there are any other areas you, you think we should look into for like, you know, what corporate clarity might look like or something like that, let us know because we're still like, refining the idea and i don't know if i'm if that was the best thing for me to talk about it now but whatever so, so to speak here it is <laughs> yeah that's well that's, we have a lot of like creative yeah we have a lot of creative people who listen so i don't know maybe that maybe something will kind of stick out to them um so that's good now you have a platform <laughs> yes tag us at, at churchclarity.com and tell us what corporate clarity should be about cool well thanks again sarah uh, good luck on your very long flight to hong kong <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks. Uh, I respect you guys and what you guys do. So thank you for letting me be here. Cool. Thanks. Maybe we can yeah, do it again in mutual. the future. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. When we do corporate clarity, we'll, we'll do this again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Cool. Cool. See ya. See you, Sarah. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. Thanks, Sarah, for coming on. Uh, Like you all heard, at the end, there's all kinds of ways to get involved with the very cool projects that Sarah is up to. Um, If you live in New York City, I guess you could get down with religious socialism there. Uh, I don't don't know. I don't know how the DSA works, but presumably, like, there's nothing stopping you from, uh, I don't know, doing it wherever you live. That's cool. Um, Also, church clarity. That's a whole thing that you should submit your churches to and find out. Who knows? Maybe you're uh, maybe you're going to a church that is more affirming than you think. <laughs> my cat is just scratching my table right now, but I'm not gonna stop her. Um, maybe you're maybe you're going to a church that is uh, I don't know. It, you, you might be surprised. That's all I'm saying. So check that out. And uh, lastly, Sarah asked uh, for some some brainstorming help, and uh, we gave some some off the cuff ideas. And maybe you have some ideas that are uh, a little more put together. That would be great. You might as well help her out. Um, alright, that's it. We'll see you next time. Uh, we're gonna let the illogical spoon play us out. Alright, goodbye. There won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. 
Jackson, you keep your hoods up, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, you keep your hoods up, where you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but might mind if you leave too soon.